At the time this program is, we find ourselves in the first quarter of the year, many of our children, our students, and maybe ourselves going back to study. And our focus this month is about a scholarship, it's about students, it's about educators. And today we're finding out more in the topic, how to nurture future scholars. Our guest today, Sheikh Ismail, uh, Sheikh Bilal Ismail, is a scholar. He is a Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer, holds a diploma in Arabic followed by a BA in Islamic Law from the Faculty of Sharia, and is a founder of the Imam Development Program. Uh, Sheikh will be taking us through today's topic on how to nurture future scholars. Sheikh Bilal Ismail, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and welcome to Radio Islam. Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hayak al ukti, barak al afiq, jazak al khair for the opportunity. Hayakum Allah. Sheikh, if we could begin by asking you, um, knowing that you've studied both in the what we call secular education as well as uh, Islamic, what is it that made you want to become a scholar of, of the deen? And how did you know that this is the path you wanted to take? Khair, inshallah. Everybody has their own story was with regards to differences that I saw growing up between various Muslims. So I'm here in Durban and we generally have Muslims who are of the Hanafi Madha background uh, but then we have the Sunnis and we have the Tablighis etc. We have different Masajid. I live in Tonga, there's two Masjids here, Varulam the same, Stanger the same, West Street and Grey Street. So we grew up seeing all of this here and so I always had questions in my mind. Why? They both tie their hands below the navel. None of them say Amin aloud in Salah, etc. But why the underlying animosity at times I would experience in my madrasa, uh, this group is like that and that one is like that. And so as growing up, I come from a traditionally Hanafi, Tablighi, Diobandi background, but the madrasa I was studying in was a Sunni Barelvi madrasa. And so we were exposed to all of this from a very young age. And so I always had questions in my mind. Why, why, and why? And so eventually, alhamdulillah, we got the opportunity to study, we got the opportunity to go overseas, we got the opportunity to access resources that we generally didn't have. And maybe a kid who was not exposed to this wouldn't have those questions in his mind. Because we were exposed to this, we had the questions, and curiosity led us to where we are today, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. We often talk about um, the role of our scholars in Islam. How would you summarize that? What is the role of scholars in Islam? MashaAllah. I mean, that's a massive question. But as the Prophet said, that the scholars, the true scholars, we're not talking about people like us who are uh, in a case where. in the land of the blind, the cockeyed is king. We're talking about true scholars, etc. They are the in, they are the inheritors of the Anbiya. Uh, every role that the Nabi fulfilled, then these people are supposed to be fulfilling those roles. The teacher, the guide, the uh, the one who is uh, leading people, the one who is uh, motivating them, the one who's taking care of them, the one who's providing for them, the one who's uh, uh, carrying their worry, their ham and their gham. That was the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And so he said, the people who are his heirs, he's not leaving behind money, gold, silver, etc. Rather, he's leaving behind the knowledge and the ulama, they are the warasatul anbiya. And so they are the guides. At the end of the day, even those who 
who criticized the Mawlana said this and the Sheikh said this and that guy said that and it's the same Jumu'ah talk, etc. At the end of the day, one, you have to have the Mawlana, you have to have the Sheikh, you have to have that Aba in the local Madrasa, etc. They are integral parts of any community. The person has a question, there's a nikah, there's an issue, there's a problem. Who do they turn to first? The people of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Mm. You know, when we look at society, very often the way we consider scholars, uh, we we see their path of wanting to study deen as being something substandard, as not being something that mm. is okay. contributing or meaningful. We see our youth as, oh, well, they didn't do well at school or, or madrasa, or they were misbehaved. So we just then say, well, then as almost sadly, like as a punishment, we send them to become hafid or we send them to become a maulana. But when are we as society going to see the role the importance, the status of scholars in our society and the contribution they make towards our society. Okay, excellent, excellent. Um, let's see, there's probably quite a few facets to this. Uh, example, today in the West, in the US, in the UK, you find that there are many scholars who are quite well-versed and well-rounded, and people look up to them. They are sought around the world. Alhamdulillah, Sheikh Yasser Qadi, Sheikh Omar Suleiman, etc., etc. And MashaAllah, they, they are worth the weight, bi'iznillahi ta'ala, in gold, inshaAllah, right? And they are from amongst those who are the forerunners, Alhamdulillah. Many amongst the youth, uh, they look up to them as role models. I want to be like him, etc., etc. And that is fantastic, Alhamdulillah. Then you also have the other side where the guy was not doing well in school. The guy was failing in, in school and maybe even in madrasa is a delinquent and so to reform him we send him to a darul ulum maybe inshallah they can do something they maybe he will be reformed etc etc people are different we have as the rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that people are like camels out of every 100 camels you will find a camel which is worthy of riding the other 99 masjid hal you know whatever khair barakah they just move along etc but those that stand out out of every 100 you will find one and so there's many examples of those who he should have never been the maulana the sheikh never he was not the right candidate for the job but fast forward he's now a mabad he's now delivering the khutbah etc etc and we need to be pragmatic uh, we need to deal with what we have right now. This is what we've been dished. This is what we have. These are the cards that we have. And this is what we have to do. And this is what we can play with and we have to play with. Yes, uh, there's definitely an element of fine-tuning, polishing. Okay, Maulana Sheikh, you know, this was not the right thing. You were not the right man, etc. But now you are in charge of the masjid. Now you are in charge of 70 kids. You are nurturing their souls. You are nurturing their minds, etc. You have a great amana on your on your shoulders. Your Rasul, our Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said the best of those are those who learn the quran and teach it you are in a privileged position uh, it may be in south africa and southern africa we're also dealing with but this is across the board across many countries uh, you talk about saudi arabia it's the same problem uh, the guy who went to study sharia uh, the guy who went to study engineering oh mashallah excellent alhamdulillah yeah. when value is not valued then value will also lose its value when you have a hundred maulanas seeking one position one job the trustee the guy in charge of the masjid the organization he knows if i don't hire you i got five others besides you if we fire the 
Imam at Zohar time. We will find five who are ready to take the position at Asr time at maybe half the salary. This is the reality. You have a hundred daru, hundred daru blooms. You just have. If we had a million teachers on the street, if we had a million doctors on the street, the value will go down. The salary amount that we will be will go down. That's that's the nature of of demand and supply. And unfortunately, today we have a lot of supply, and maybe the demand is low. But what we do lack is quality. When we talk about, look at South Africa, the infighting and the disputing, etc. I'm not finding that it's uh, doctors fighting. It's not the engineers who are fighting one another. It's not the engineers who are spreading uh, anonymous WhatsApp messages. But it is the Maulana, the Sheikh, the this, the that, etc. Yeah. And so that youngster who maybe is disillusioned, if he sees all of this on a daily basis, ah, I don't want to get involved with this. These guys are just fighting every day. For, we, we, we could Gaza get genocide there, and people are talking about uh, these small tiny matters here. So our aim is to be apportioned across the board. Everybody has a share of it, unfortunately. And we all in it together. Everybody has to play their part. Mm, absolutely. I want to pick up on where you started off with our Sheikh and talking about the curiosity um, that led you to your path. Uh, how is it that we as parents and community leaders can encourage questions and critical thinking when it comes to Islamic knowledge? We very often shut down our youth um, mm. and we, uh, we, we, we prevent them from asking those questions. We actually discourage it or we actually uh, look down upon the children with disdain when they ask those questions. My my own son was educated in, 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 in Arabic in the, in the Middle East and he finds that huge discrepancy now as an adult when he observes uh, people his age or younger mm-hmm. where it's, it's a very cultural Islam and there's no room to ask questions respectfully. Uh, give us your thoughts on that please. Jay, excellent. Well, if the parent is uh, somebody who can do it bespoke, open up discussion yourself, mashallah, excellent, fantastic. And if you need some assistance, then one guide could be the syllabus that Yaqeen Institute has put together. It's uh, it's for Sunday schools, like in the West, they have the Sunday school. So be more accustomed to madrasa. I go to madrasa Monday to Friday, half mm-hmm. past two to half past four. Uh, many countries unable to do that. And so they just have maybe madrasa on a Saturday or Sunday. Yaqeen Institute put together uh, a syllabus that has many of these critical uh, questions, debates, uh, discussions. Very, very good. It's already done. It's a ready resource just for you to implement So I would advise using that, inshallah. Excellent, excellent. And lastly, Sheikh, as parents, what would your number one tip be for us and how we can install that love for Dean in our homes with our children sincerely? Okay, excellent. Uh, subhanallah. Uh, the Mawlana, the Sheikh, the Aapa, the Mu'allima, you have great responsibility and you also have great influence over the minds of those kids. South Africa, alhamdulillah, we are, we are definitely better than many of the other Southern African countries. So the Imam Development Program, there's 464 Imams now on the program in 10 African countries. You visit a madrasa in Malawi, a madrasa in Zimbabwe. Uh, what do you have? You have a small, tiny classroom, which is not the issue. Then you have a teacher 
who Allah knows how qualified he is. Allah knows how motivated he is. In Durban, you would find a teacher who's maybe at a, a former model stage school. You know, I want to change the world. I want to become a teacher. She's become the teacher now. When she has 45 kids in the classroom screaming, all of that motivation, enthusiasm all goes down the drain. She's bogged down with um, so much of marking and khalas. She just becomes like another 99, just roving the rat race and all of those enthusiasm dreams are all gone down the drain. What do you think about somebody who's earning $20 in some village and he's got 45, 80 students in a classroom? Then he's got another problem. We have system here in South Africa, alhamdulillah. You have the Tashkil syllabus, level 1, level 2, level 3, level 4, etc. Different classrooms, alhamdulillah. Maybe different teachers, mashallah. Brilliant. A system can work there. Whereas in the village, you have uh, 80 children in one classroom between the ages of 4 and 14. Three of them came yesterday. Nine of them, it's the first day in the middle of June that they are attending Madrasa. Three of them are going to be absent tomorrow. There's a whole bunch not going to come next month, etc. No system's going to work there. This is a biryani mix, acne kind of setup, etc. Then he doesn't have even resources. He doesn't have posters on the board. He's demotivated himself. That's why, unfortunately, for example, Malawi Muslim population 40 years ago was around 50%. Malawi Muslim population 40 years ago was around 50%. Malawi Muslim population now is between 13 and 26%. This is via the former vice president of the current ruling party, Brother Siddiq Mia, who was a politician, he passed away during COVID. I asked him, is it true there were 80% Muslims in Malawi? And Malawi, Zimbabwe, Zambia were all one country at one time. He says, no, 80 is a bit of exaggeration. Rather, it was uh, about 50. Sheikh, but 50, now you're not for 50. Uh, yeah, we were 50% 40 years ago. And it's not because of a crisis of faith, like somebody in Houston or somebody in London. I read some book, I watched a video, I don't think I believe any longer. No, rather it's because the only school in the village is maybe a Christian school. So the grandfather comes out from that school. Uh, he's now 19, 20 years old. Uh, he's got 15% Islam. Uh, there's a masjid there, uh, but there's no active imam there. There's no proper infrastructure, etc. Infrastructure, I'm talking about human beings. I'm not talking about the building. Building means nothing. Talking about the human beings. There's no active imam there, etc. Uh, okay, his kids eventually, their generation come, they, they've got 10% Islam. By the time the grandkids come, they've got 5% Islam. Uh, that family that might have been four, 500 years upon Islam, it now ends with the grandkid. He gets involved with this girl, that girl. He might still identify as a Muslim, but khalas, there's mafi Islam for the next generation. They drifted out of Islam. It wasn't just the choice that they made on one, sun, one sunny morning. Many kids in Durban, Johannesburg, they might go to the St. Anthony's schools St. Mary's school, but they've got an Islamic infrastructure around them that balances the negativity. What are we talking about? There's the masjid, there's the halaqa, there's Radio Islam on the radio here. You jump in the car, there's Radio Al-Ansar, there's a march here, there's, there's some, there's Islam lived, mm -hmm. there's an osmosis that you are, that you are absorbing around yourself.
himself, which balances out the negativity. All he has in that village is that Christian school and nothing but that, unfortunately. So the Ummah, in reality, if there's any nasiha, Ummah radiallahu what did he say? I wish that this entire room was not full of gold and silver and rubies and diamonds. Rather, it was full of people like Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah, Salim Mawla Abi Hudayfa, Mu'ad ibn Jabal. And then I will use them in the path of Allah. Human resources, the most important resource that we need, uh, which unfortunately we have the least of. Money, there's no shortage. In reality, people who know there's no shortage of money, subhanAllah. But there is a dire shortage of good, hard-working, smart people who are willing to sacrifice for the sake of the ummah, who are smart enough and they are sacrificing for the ummah. That's what we require, people like Abu Ubaidah. Imagine if we had, if we could clone Zakir Naik. A hundred Zakir mm-hmm. Naiks, excellent. If Ahmed Didat was around, a hundred Ahmed Didats, mashallah. A uh, hundred, uh, uh, what's this, Ayubis. You just need 400, 500 people to change the world. This team of four, you're going to Bolivia. This team of four, you're going to Brazil. This team of four, you're going to Mecca. This team of four, you're going to Syria. They will change the world. Four, five hundred people. SubhanAllah. Oh, wow. Giving us lots of food for thought and really important steps on what we can do and how we as parents can nurture our children, inshallah. It was very enlightening. And we would love to hear more from you about the Imam Development pro- Program in the new year, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continue to take good work from you, grant you afia, and uh, we wish you safe travels, inshallah. Khair, inshallah. Do I have one minute for one story? Yes, of course, please. Okay, please, excellent. Please. So recently in uh, Makanjira, Makanjira is across Lake Malawi, three hours by boat to reach them, 99%, 99.9% Muslim, they're living like the Sahaba, no electricity, no lights, no water, etc., no running water. When we gave the kids, visited the imams on the IDP, they gave the kids some sweets, they were happy like all kids know. They were on another level of happiness like Firdos, mashallah, right? And so somebody saw the video and said, you know what, I want to give this imam and the other imam uh, $200 each. We said, sister, can we suggest something? She says, yes. We'll give him huh, $150, $150. The other $50 for six months, the imam will spend $2 every Friday and he will buy some sweets, buy some apple, banana, etc. And we'll call it hashtag fun Friday. Friday at Madrasa is fun Friday. Imam, you have the laptop that was given to you. Bring the laptop to Madrasa, play some Hana and Umar video, etc. Send us the pictures the kids are watching. Uh, take a rope, go outside to tug of war with the kids. Uh, you know, they do this game, they go under the rope, then they jump over the rope. So Friday is a standard thing with the IDP imams, fun Friday. How much does it cost? It costs 25, 30, 40 rands. But what are the benefits of that? Even if you learned nothing and you just had fun in, on Friday at Madrasa, MashaAllah, let's see. Mm-hmm. I come to Madrasa Monday to Thursday. Friday is a fun day, MashaAllah. I'm going to get some sweets, Alhamdulillah. I'm going to see my Mawlana, my Muallima, my Sheikh in a different light. He's going to play games with me. He's going to do a tug of war with us. Uh, we're going to watch some nice videos, etc., etc. A completely different type of environment one has. Jayit, if we talk about then the Christian and this and that and evangelist, no, I love my Sheikh. I love my Mulana. I love my madrasa. We have fun day, alhamdulillah. I enjoy it. My kid, he goes to a madrasa here in Tonga. I said, wallah, he's like five years old. He loves madrasa. doesn't like school, but he loves madrasa. Maybe it's the muallima. Maybe it's the friends. I don't know. But he really loves it, alhamdulillah. That's what we need, inshallah. Barakallah mm-hmm. Inshallah. Uh, Sheikh, lastly, before you leave us, what is the website or how can people find out more about the Imam Development Program and support it as well? 
on all social media accounts, www.imamdpimamd, as in development, p as in program, .org, imamdp.org. Wonderful, wonderful. Jazakumullah khair. And we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to say good work from you, inshallah, Shaykh. Jazakumullah khair. We are speaking to Shaykh Bilal Ismail on the topic of nurturing future scholars. We go for an ad break and we come back after this for more. Stay with us. A warm welcome back to our program here. And as always, we encourage you to share with us ideas and recommendations for scholars or topics you'd like us to cover in future programs. You can drop us an email to hana at radioislamlive.com and let us know your recommendation of topics or guests that we can have on our programs in future, inshallah. Our next segment takes us to the teachings of Islam and today we focus on the topic of perseverance. Uh, typically, people translate sabr as patience, which is an approximate meaning. Patience is not a very good translation because it comes from the Latin origin, which means suffering. And so patience is understood in people's minds as a passive type of suffering. The term sabr comes from the word sabara, which means to tie or bind. In other words, it means to be tied down uncontrolled fears, weakness, and human passions. There is no specific English word that expresses this meaning, but some words that are close are perseverance, resolution, fortitude, self-discipline, and control. This quality is not passive, but more active, determined, and dynamic. The term sabr in Islam has so many applications that are not limited to perseverance in cases of calamity or disaster. It does include fighting for justice or freedom, and demolition of human tyranny, unlike the negative passive term, patience. So let us look at some of the applications of perseverance in the life of a believer. Perseverance relates to obedience to Allah, avoiding disobeying Allah, and it relates to perseverance in the face of rejectors of truth. It may also refer to perseverance in terms of company, cases of calamity, and even good fortune. The Qur'an describes sabr in relation to obedience of Allah and worship in Surah 19, Ayah 65, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Lord of the heavens and the earth and of all that is between them, so worship Allah and be constant and patient in his worship. Second, sabr is perseverance in terms of keeping away from things that displease Allah. For example, in um, in the Qur'an, it describes the believers as those who believe and do good deeds and exhort each other in truth and perseverance. Surah Al-Asr. This is why Nabi Muhammad wasallam was quoted in Sahih Muslim to have said that Jannah is surrounded with things that are trying and difficult and the hellfire is surrounded with things that are more pleasing and glittery. Third, in the Qur'an, it addresses Rasulullah and the believers to persevere for Allah. In Surah 76, Ayah 24, we read, Therefore, be patient with constancy to the command of your Lord, and hearken not to the sinner or the ingrate among them. Fourthly, perseverance refers to calamity and misfortune. This part is not to be ignored, but is only part of the total meaning of sabr. 
For example, in Surah 31, Ayah 17, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Bear with patient constancy whatever betides you. Fifthly, perseverance relates to keeping the company of those who are pious and staying away from the glitter of life. This is found in Surah 18, Ayah 28, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, and keep your soul content with those who call on their Lord morning and evening, seeking his face, and let not your eyes pass beyond them, seeking the pomp and glitter of this life. So the question often asked is, why do people who face, who are good face trials and have calamities and are not rewarded with being pious, for being pious immediately? And so we understand that this topic relates to the subject of measure. First of all, we as humans are not qualified to judge the ultimate wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Many things might sound paradoxical to us in this life, as we forget that beyond our human judgment is a higher order, the highest order and divine wisdom that we as human beings do not fully understand. On the other hand, the Qur'an indicates to us that it is not only the wicked people who are touched with calamity and difficulty. An example of this is in Ayah 2 of Surah Al-Rum, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, do men think that they will be left alone on sick we believe and that they will not be tested? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa also told us that if Allah loves people, he tests them. And in another saying, he said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that a person might be tested in this life so that his punishment comes earlier. And in another saying, he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that people who are, are tested most in terms of their faith are the prophets alayhi salam and then those close to the anbiya alayhi salam. We find that the anbiya alayhi salam are among those who suffered a great deal not because they were wicked. It is also, however, possible that calamities can befall the wicked as a sort of punishment. And the Qur'an indicates that as humans, we are tested in bounties as much as we are tested in trials. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this understanding. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who are able to take and draw full benefit in understanding this. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Now, when we talk about, you know, the, the topic itself about, about death, many of us may find ourselves finding that topic um, a difficult topic, or we may find that that topic uh, is one that, that we have fear about. Yet, subhanAllah, when we think about it, really, we must remind ourselves that our death can be peaceful. Ustada Dr. Farhad Hashmi shared, how do you know if you're ready for death? And that's what I would like to share with you today. Our greatest fear is death. I want to know that if I were to die right now, what would my death be like? Would it be painful? Would it be pleasurable? Would it be sweet? Your death will be exactly as your salah is to you right now. Why? Because when you pray salah, what do you do? You go and meet Allah. 
when you die, what happens? You go and meet Allah. And if you dislike meeting Allah while you are in this world, in your body, why would you want to meet Allah when you leave your body? If salah is sweet to you right now, your death will be sweet if you died right now. And if you eagerly wait for salah, then when death comes to you, you will eagerly wait to be released from this cage of the dunya and to soar to new heights. If your salah is a burden on you right now, death will be a burden on you to die right now. If salah is painful, death will be painful. So look at your salah, improve your salah, and you will improve your connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because both of these are nothing but a meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this understanding and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who love our salah and who love to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As we settle into this new school, work, study year, for many mothers, um, you may find that that time frees up for you. You know, during the summer holidays for a number of weeks, our children, our grandchildren were home with us. And as such, our routines may have been very different to what they usually are. Now, as our children go back to school, madrasa, and the ulums, we find that our schedules free up more, right? There's no lunch to prepare, as in for lunch for the day. We may have those few hours between the school and madrasa rounds, and we may have those moments for ourselves back again. And with that, as they go back to school and madrasa, our routines may change. Will that free time beat five minutes or an hour that we have? We need to be so careful to use that time correctly. It may also be that our children go to a hifth class, a madrasa in the morning, before, after fajr, and so our routines are very much different compared to the holiday season. We also want to keep in mind that Ramadan is close approaching. And with that, we remind ourselves of preparing the hearts for Ramadan. Tahajjud, if we've been neglecting that during the holiday season, remember, our glory lies in our tahajjud. Surely salah is easily answered and brings us closer to Allah. The second is to read our Quran before sunrise. Later in the day, we find the time goes by so quickly, it's difficult for us to maintain a habit. So make a habit of reading Quran in the earliest, quietest part of the morning, and you'll find yourself being able to hold on to that habit. And if you can be consistent with that habit, you'll find that it actually becomes so much easier as we get closer to Ramadan to incrementally increase, to increase the amount of Quran you're reciting daily. The next is to take care of sadaqah ensuring that on a daily basis, we are giving sadaqah in some form or the other. So sadaqah is in money, it is in food, it is in volunteering and sharing our resources, talents, abilities, strengths. It's giving a smile to someone else, it's helping the elderly. All of these are acts of sadaqah. Together with that, let's make a habit to be in the state of wudu as often as possible. The reason that Rasulullah heard Bilal's footsteps in Jannah, Bilal ibn Rabah, عنه, 
said, I never invalidated my wudu except that I performed wudu upon that and I considered that I owed Allah two rak'ah. And this is mentioned in the Hadith book of At-Tirmidhi. So let us get into this habit. You know, in Ramadan, we find this beautiful habit taking place and, and being anchored in our daily routine. And that is, we find we're often in wudu. Why? Because we go from reading Quran to... Um, to um, to re- reading extra salah or praying our qada, etc. So let's get into the habit now instead of waiting for Ramadan. You know, the more we are in wudu, the more we are inspired and motivated to want to do good deeds, whether it be recite more Quran or pray that two extra rak'ah nafil salah. That is because we're in the state of wudu. And in that state of wudu, in that state of of purity, we are more inclined to do good deeds. Would you, for example, make wudu and then pick up the phone and chat to your best friend and gossip about someone? No. You're more likely to recite dhikr or read a page or two from the Quran or pray two rak'ahs nafil salah, right? Another is istighfar. And we often wait for the big days, as we call it, or the big months. But we need not do just that. We need to make istighfar a part of our routine on a daily basis. So put up a reminder on your phone. Put up a post-it on your fridge or on your office desk. Uh, Put up um, a wallpaper on your phone of istighfar reminders for a while until you get into that habit. With istighfar, every problem is easily resolved. Sins are forgiven. And it definitely makes us always think more positively, be more content get nearer, nearer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to reflect in our lives, our choices, our actions and decisions. Istighfar is such a game changer for how we reflect and work to change our lives. So make istighfar a part of your life. The duha salah, because the key to sustenance lies in the duha salah and it is very powerful in bringing sustenance and inner peace. We have a number of hours generally, especially in the summer months in which we can pray our duha salah. Even in the winter months, we still have that time. It's not as short as the time between, say, Asr and Maghrib. So you have that time, set a reminder as, as you would for an appointment, something urgent, and make that time to pray your duha salah. Another thing that many of us neglect uh, if we're rushing for our Fajr Salah. So we haven't timed it well. We're not waking up in in early in time. Uh, and because now the time is going for Fajr and we have that specific sensitive time in which to pray our Fajr Salah, we find ourselves sometimes neglecting the Sunnah of Fajr. And we rush through our Fajr, the fault of it, to pray that Salah. And then we end up missing our Sunnah of Fajr. So the two rak'ah before the Fajr, Fard of Fajr, is better than the world and everything in it. So imagine that you are the richest person if you hold tight to the Sunnah of Fajr. These are small little actions, but yet they can make such a huge difference in our lives. So again, tahajjud, reading the Quran before sunrise, the Sunnah of Fajr Salah, taking care of your duha Salah, Sadaqah every day, being in a state of wudu as often as possible, reciting istighfar regularly on a daily basis.
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us and make us of those who are on the steadfast, on the straight path, and who are constantly working to upgrade our ibadah, to gain nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to be close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to be in his obedience. It is these small little actions that make such a huge difference to our lives in this world and most definitely to our akhirah. So let us plant and sow the seeds for our akhirah. Let's put down uh, seeds to plant and grow our akhirah harvest, inshallah. Let us conclude our time today together with a dua for Palestine. We begin by remembering Allah then we will send salawat ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then we ask Allah for help for the Palestinians and other Muslims. We show Allah our helplessness. We ask Allah for his protection, for his mercy. We acknowledge that. Then we conclude with salawat and praising Allah. So let us begin. La ilaha illallah al-abibim al-haleem. لا إله إلا الله رب العرش العظيم لا إله إلا الله رب السماوات ورب العرض رب الأرض ورب العرش الكريم اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد اللهم أصلح أحوال المسلمين في فلسطين اللهم أصلح أحوال المسلمين في فلسطين وفي كل مكان يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم إنهم مغلوبون فانتصر لهم اللهم إنهم مغلوبون Oh Allah, they are helpless, so help them. Oh Allah, indeed we place you before them, that is we make you their shield and we seek refuge in you from their evil. Oh ever-living, O oh, self-subsisting, by your mercy, I seek your assistance. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-zalimeen. There is no true deity except you, ya Allah. Exalted are you, ya Allah. Indeed, I have been of the wrongdoers. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad. Allahumma inni as'aluka bi anna laka alhamd. La ilaha illa anta al-mannan. Badi'u al-samawati wal-ard. Ya al-jalali wal-ikram. Ya Hayyu, Ya Qayyum. Oh Allah, indeed, I ask you, because for you is all praise. There is no true deity except you, the benefactor, the originator of the heavens and the earth. O possessor of majesty and splendor, O ever-living, O self-subsistent. May Allah accept our du'as in the favor of our Muslim brothers and sisters suffering in Palestine, Syria, Yemen, Afghanistan, India, Somalia, Sudan, uh, China, and everywhere else around the globe. Ya Rabbil Alameen. We ask you to accept from us, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us in this regard, to constantly be making dua, thinking, reflecting on our state, and praying for ourselves and our Muslim brothers and sisters. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. So as always, keep in mind that Ramadan is less than two months exactly two months away and that time will go past very quickly it is imperative that if we haven't as yet set a plan of action in place that we do so immediately that we look to see how am i preparing my heart 
before Ramadan. While many of us may be preparing our homes, we may be preparing our menus, all of which helps tremendously to save time and to be more productive in our ibadah, it is just as important to be planning, preparing, cleaning the heart. Not waiting for the eve of Ramadan and then feeling overwhelmed with your ibadah plan, trying for the first few days to get all the ibadah started and then finding yourself feeling discouraged because you're not consistent. Rather, what is so important is for us to start slow, to begin, to start by working towards what is it that I can do at the stage and how can I, inshallah, work towards strengthening, building my heart, preparing myself for the upcoming Ramadan. It is, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us all with the opportunity to see this next Ramadan. We ask Allah to grant us health and happiness and keep us steadfast on our Iman. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us on the right right path and to make us of those who witness this next Ramadan and to witness this Ramadan with good health and with Iman. Ameen. Ya Rabbal Alameen. And with that, we come to the close of this week's edition of the program. And we do ask you to keep us in your du'as as well. And please, inshallah, we also ask that you share with us your recommendations, your ideas for future programs, for future topics, as well as guests that you would like us to interview on our programs. And we will definitely keep that in mind as we prepare ahead, inshallah, for forthcoming programs. Until then, jazakumullahu khairan for joining us today. And assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.